This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, and from a, well, frankly, not very crap part of West Hollywood, but a crap old computer. I apologise for the audio. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. It's more than that, Davo. It's the Men in Blazers Thanksgiving pod special. Oh, I love Thanksgiving. But you, you know what I hate? What do you hate, Rog? I hate the phrase, happy turkey day. <laughs> happy turkey. I hate it. It's, I was trying to work out with producer J-Dubs what is that really really annoys me about Happy Turkey Day. It's, it's, like it's so smug, so self-satisfied. And I know this is going to be controversial with our listeners. I actually think anyone who says Happy Turkey Day should be stripped of their citizenship. It's like one of those phrases that the person who says it, they feel like they've invented it. Like, like when you call a coffee a cup of joe or, or like shopping, my mother calls it retail therapy. I find Thanksgiving still, after 28 years in America, I just find it a little bit difficult to get into. I'm just a little lost. We spoke about it a little bit on the TV show, Rog, where you said something like it's when we celebrate leaving Britain, which yeah. isn't really what it was about. I think it is. It's but I, I think myself. a lot of people are very confused as to exactly what Thanksgiving is about. But I think the only important thing is just to be grateful. Talking about phrases I do hate, can I just go off on that for one quick second? I realised I hate not my first rodeo, Davo. I, d- I don't think you should be allowed to say not my first rodeo unless you've actually, <laughs> you know, attempted rodeo. And I don't mean like on a mechanical bull on a bar. I demand proper Texas Longhorns. You don't like it when I, c- when I call you a beautiful man. Well, no, but that's not because I don't, I don't not like the phrase. I just don't like it that you end every conversation speaking to every man even some men who I know for a fact aren't beautiful either inside or out, and you end it by saying you're a beautiful man. So whereas it used to mean a lot to me where you would say you're a beautiful man at the end of course, when I realised that you said it to literally anyone, then it didn't mean anything to me anymore. You did, you, but it did give you a real pleasure the first couple of times we spoke on the phone and I'd end it by going, oh, Dave, you're a beautiful man. I never thought I was the only person, but maybe <laughs> one of a handful of people you said that to, but you literally say it to everyone. I'm just a big believer in the Confucius quote that everything has beauty, not everyone sees it. So sue me. I'm all no, in. That isn't, that isn't at all what you believe in. <laughs> <laughs> that is nothing. That is actually couldn't be less like you. Oh, I'm all in on beauty. I'm all in on love. I'm all in on thanks this week, Dave. What, what are you? We say this every year. What are you thankful for right now? I'm thankful for having had phenomenally good luck. I'm thankful for very special people in my life. Rog, you're a beautiful man. Beautiful people. Beautiful, and, beautiful uh, people. But have some very special people in my life and I have some very special children. So I'm thankful for all of those. And George particularly, you and I have spoken about this um, outside the podcast. Yes, sir. You know, I've had three daughters and now I have this little boy, a six-year-old boy. So, and you've been through it. You have three sons and then a little girl. I've not been through... A kid. I mean, JJ and Ingrid and Bria have all tried to like like football for me, but it's like I often feel bad about it. That they're really trying hard, but they don't really feel it. And it's nothing about women in sport. My kids, JJ particularly, is sport crazy, but football just isn't really her thing. But George has just woken up to football in the last three to four months. 
He's a massive FIFA player. He's a huge Premier League fan. He just starting to recognize players. He lives with the football at his foot. It's like an extension of his left foot. And I got to tell you, I am just loving that right now. Loving it so much. So w- thankful for it. Woken up to football. Yes. Sounds like a great morning show that should be on NBC Sports. You know what? I just make a note, JW. I'm going to write that down and pitch it. I'm thankful for many things, Dave. Most of all, dark time for American football lovers. I'm thankful to you GFOPs, you great friends of the pod. More than ever, to be candid. You know, the passion, the creativity, the love that you pour into our relationship, dear listeners. Our last live show in New York City, the USA WTF live show that we taped uh, at the Gramercy Theatre and released as a pod last week. The big takeaway for me wasn't about what happened on the stage. It was what happened in the audience. Just how many of you flew in from all over the country, from California, from Texas, from Colorado, from Arizona, just wanting to be together, to share each other's company at this dark time. And to be honest, I was also struck by the depth of the emotional wound the United States failure has caused amongst so many people. And I share that sense of a wound. But your desire to be together and to be with Dave and me on that day and every day in person and via social and email and your ravens, this three-way conversation that we have about football, about glory, about failure, about life, it is true lifeblood. And, and now more than ever, I, I don't take it for granted. And this Thanksgiving, I want to raise a glass in your direction, dear listener, dear great friend of the pod, and give only thanks, only thanks, love, Love and thanks. One specific thing I'm thankful for, by the way, on that topic. I want to thank everyone who sent in consoling emails to me after I missed out making people's sexiest man alive issue. Again. (laughs) Damn you, Jess Cagle. I know you listen. David, I think I didn't make it this year because I'm not sure if the editors know I am still alive. But let me ask you this. If people did a sexiest bald alive issue, which is actually probably very good for advertising purposes, Mm. would you make it? What, me or you? You. Oh. Um, I thought, it's funny, just as you said that, I'm, I'm like flicking through our Instagram and I see Dave O chooses his favourite uh, for, for our new merchandise. I look quite good. I look a little bit Statham-like, uh, Rog. Depends. I'm at my low weight right now in 17 years. This is about as close as I'm ever going to get right now. But I still wouldn't put it. There are so many better-looking bald men than me. There are some really good-looking bald men. They're just men, David. Just men. They are beautiful-looking men. I, I actually mm. was thinking whether I was wondering whether I would crack the top ten thousand <laughs> if it was just you, sexiest balds. You would do very well if it was the People Magazine Beautiful Man issue, <laughs> but it would it would literally be infinitely long because it would feature every single man you've ever met or spoken <sighs> to in your entire life. That'd be a fantastic. That would save the future of the magazine industry. My beautiful man issue. <laughs> I believe, uh, this is a bold statement, I think I would possibly crack the top 10,000, although I might just be edged out by Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) 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 In other men in blazers, news, news, news. We need a sting there. MIB news. We we had a phenomenal show yesterday. It was one of our best, not because of you or me, Davo, but Chat Whitehall, the English comedian, Arsenal fan. What a fantastic gent. A lot of reaction to him, positive reaction to Jack on the social media, Rod. He told a hilarious story, if you were lucky enough not to watch our show, 
talked about what it's like to sit in the posh seats at the Emirates, the really posh seats at Arsenal. And he talked about how he sits by a barbecoated Arsenal fan who spends the whole game just shouting out incredibly literary things at the players. Like when, when Bakary Sanya used to play for Arsenal and he didn't like the way he played, he'd shout out, um, Oh, Bakary, you are so lackadaisical. And it turns out that the fan, what is he, Davo? He's a GFOP, Rog. He's a GFOP. He tweeted us right after the show. Johnny Gray tweeted us a photo of himself and his beautiful son. I think it's Archie at the Emirates with the hashtags, hashtag Arsenal Barber fan and hashtag GFOP. It makes me love life, Dave. It really makes oh, me love life. Bakery San, you're so lackadaisical. Oh, Such our, a good song. Our next, All the kids are singing it. Our next show, next Wednesday, the 29th, be warned, at 5.30pm Eastern Time, starring Stranger Things 2's kind of stealth cameo stole Stranger Things 2, some would say. Paul Reiser, Davo. Wow. It's going to be all I do, not just to talk diner with him for 30 minutes. Not for my own benefit, even though it's the most important film ever made. For producer J-Dubs, who's a puppet master. Thanks to all of you who've brought MIB merch. Thanks to all of you who've brought it and are not ashamed of buying it. And you've sent us beautiful social photos of you wearing it. It warms the cockles of my heart. You can grab it via meninblazers.com now. Click on merch. We've actually got new items going up this week. I'm looking at a new item right now, Davo, a Balds Win t-shirt, which is a stunning piece of design by Ian Hutchison. Buy it for the bald in your life. And going up soon, a GFOP creation by GFOP Bob Yarkey, which is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. That's all I'll say right now. Check it out. And your support of our merch allows us to make more crap, more crap shows, I'll say. It means the world to us. I quite like the merch. I've been wearing it a lot myself. Uh, we got a packed show, Rog. We're going to break down Arsenal's comprehensive 2-0 North London derby win over Tottenham. By the way, if you don't know the scores this week, almost every game ended 2-0. We queue up our weekly Have Manchester City Already Won the Title discussion after another decisive win for Pep's mob at Leicester. And we chuck a pair of white addies over a telephone wire in honour of recently departed West Brom manager Tony Poulos. <laughs> To the football, Rog. Oh, to the football. I've got my Guinness. And as I pour it, I'll just say, this weekend, it felt like a reset. It felt like a prequel. It felt like a throwback weekend, Davo, to a sepia-tinged era before Liverpool became a slapstick defending team, before Spurs became a buccaneering, fearless football outfit, before United became constipated in front of goal. Everything this weekend felt reassuringly as it used to be. It was as if rock and roll had never happened. So I raise this Guinness to tradition and Arsenal being Arsenal again, if only for a weekend. Right, Burnley fans? Well, talking of 2-0 and talking about like retro throwback weekends, Arsenal 2, Tottenham 0, an Arsenal performance dripping with purpose and intent, Rog, that could for some people, notably Spurs fans, have been overshadowed by questionable refereeing or some questionable refereeing. First half goals just five minutes apart from Shkodran Mustafi and Alexis Sanchez give the Gunners their first NLD League win since March 2014. Cast your mind back to before this game began, if you can. Uh, this North London derby, it just felt different before kickoff. I mean, Tottenham post their Real Madrid shellacking 
finishing above Arsenal in the league last season for the first time since I was bald. I mean, Wenger's team, we have to remember this now, they were real underdogs before the game began. And as Pochettino's Tottenham, they were, they were expected to swagger into the Emirates as the best team in North London. But at the same time, Spurs had only won twice in their last 32 at Arsenal. And Arsenal, though widely now considered to be middleweights, they'd won their last 10 at home. So there was narrative and reality. And this game, this game proved to be a rare occurrence in today's world, where for 90 minutes at least, reality won out. Coming into the game, Tottenham, you know, despite their nouveau buccaneering, you know, in a few games recently, they've looked a little shaky, certainly that victory over Palace. And in this game, they never really seemed to be on top. You felt that Arsenal needed it more. You felt like Arsenal uh, wanted it more. And this whole new thing, like the Arsenal central midfield, Rog, I'm just trying to get used to it. Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic in the opening. Frantic, scrappy, traditional derby fair. And looking at it, eyes wide in astonishment. It was clear from the opening. Ramsey, Sanchez, Ozil, they had the mental strength to fight not just to match Spurs' intensity, but to overwhelm them. And that narrative we were expecting, perhaps, the wilting, cowering Arsenal, didn't appear on this day at all. Spurs' post-international break were just full of rust in the final third. Dembele looked injured or worn down, just lesser. Delhi struggled anonymously. Eriksen clearly used up all his goals against Ireland. And Arsenal battled. They battled, Dave, a quality when do we last associate that with Wenger's team? No, it's so true. And sometimes, Rog, when you play like that, sometimes where you're seen as being the aggressor in a sort of a competitive sense, you get the benefit of calls. And I think that, to some extent, explains what was going on. And certainly with Sanchez versus Sanchez 1, um, <laughs> I'd say that like they were getting the benefit of the calls because they were playing more aggressively. Yeah, I mean, we should say one of the storylines going into this game was the choice of referee Mike Dean to be the match official. I mean, he is the worst Dean since Howard. Arsenal fans proper hate him. He was the referee that allowed Diego Costa to single-handedly dupe the Arsenal backline and Gabriel in particular into a red card with his violent histrionics. And the Arsenal faithful were disgusted when he was appointed to this game. A disgust which perhaps uncoincidentally led him to lean generously towards Arsenal when the, the game's key decisions were on the line. Because it was, I love you, Sanchez versus Sanchez won. He saw a foul to me, Mike Dean, where there was none. It was just a, just your standard run-of-the-mill battle in the war for Sanchez supremacy. I am the alpha Sanchez, says Alexis. No, I am, my friend, says Davinson. And then neglecting to call the offside on the ensuing free kick as Everton reject Mustafi rose like Marata Davo to next yeah. snap the ball home. The other thing about that goal, though, Rog, I've watched it a few times. Lloris just a little flat-footed. I feel like Lloris isn't completely fit again or back to his best as well. When that ball went in, I know this is controversial, listeners, but I realised when it did, I believe Arsenal fans deserve to experience happiness occasionally too, yeah. David. There, I've said it. Yeah. And they yeah. did because their team in this game were precise in their execution repeatedly. And on this day, Tottenham lacked that quality altogether. I mean, when Sanchez doubled that lead with that phenomenal first touch of a tender lover in traffic and that sliver of space with the emphatic finish, the Aaron Gordon-style finish from Raz Sterling range, Arsenal had scored with both of their attempts on target mm. and Spurs hadn't come close. 
God, thanks for the Orlando Magic reference. I enjoyed that. It uh, felt like we were watching a game from ancient history, to be honest. Those olden days in the mists of time when St. Totteringham's Day was an annual occurrence. It was as if last season never happened. Arsenal, goals, dominance, potent midfield play. Ozil, superlative, nuanced, intelligent, cunning, assertive. Perhaps even more shocking, there was atmosphere at the Emirates. And even as Spurs tried to step up the, the urgency, Arsenal... Oh, so strong in that bat line. I mean, the forward line of Arsenal may have won the game, but that bat line, Mustafi, Koscielny, Monreal, all excellent. They made sure that Arsenal didn't lose it. But let me ask you, were Arsenal exceptionally good for 90 minutes or were Spurs very, very poor? Uh, I don't think Spurs were particularly good, but I still think that this is a game that you've seen Arsenal not dominate with that level of aggression. And I think that sometimes, you know, you've got to punch someone in the nose. And I think Arsenal punched Tottenham in the nose early. I don't think they expected them to come out with that much fire and aggression. And I'd like to think that one of the reasons that Spurs played badly is Arsenal, you know, got them on the back foot very early. Yeah, that mental intensity, that organisation, we normally have an adjective for that. It's Pochettino-esque. But in this game, it was Arsenal that unfilled that display. And when Kane and Delhi were sub Davo in the 75th minute, I mean, Spurs yeah. disappointing in another big game, just three points out of the four games they played against the big six so far. I did wonder how long their elite talent can take these steps forward, steps backward progress and say, this is good enough for me. I mean, for a second, towards the end of the game, when Kane and when Delhi were subbed together, I couldn't help but think how good Real Madrid are going to be next season. Yeah, and that interest is real and the call is going and a, a chance for Harry Kane to play around and Deli Ali to play around much, much better players. It's got to be incredibly tempting. Yeah, I mean, this performance for Spurs, it was like an early first look trailer for next summer's blockbuster movie entitled Meek England Raise Expectations and then totally failed to live up to them in a doomed World Cup 2018 campaign. Really was opposite day. Up was down, Sad was happy, Meza Ozil was good. I mean, he walked off the, in the 84th minute with a wave to the awed Arsenal faithful. Or maybe it was just waving in the general direction of Old Trafford. And I'm excited for Arsenal fans' happiness. It was heartfelt and it was a reminder of all they love about this club when it plays full throttle, intense, planful football with true Arsenal pride. A pride that is enhanced because it comes at the expense of the misery of your greatest rival. I mean, it was a weird to watch an Arsenal game where there was nothing to feel miserable about. Arsenal fans, nothing to moon. They couldn't even point a finger at Mike Dean, Davo, not even a little one. The symbolism of the entire game for me was that tackle from Mustafi on Harry Kane. It was sort of half block, half tackle. JW and I spoke for a while about whether it was a block or whether it was a tackle. We came up with a new word. It was a blackle, Rog. It was a stone-cold blackle. You just don't see many Arsenal moments like that. GFOP at W Wiles tweeted, good Arsenal showed up today. And now we Gunner fans can spend the week agonising over which team will show up for Burnley at the weekend. Which begs the question, Davo, why don't Arsenal play like this every week? Let's face it. I know we're living in a world now where Man City are playing like this every week. But every team, even when they're really good, even teams that win the Premier League have bad weeks. Not every team can play their best every single week. But Arsenal... It was, an, it was an endeavour. This doesn't even seem like they set out to play this way every week. I think if only they could play Spurs at home every week, 
or possibly yeah. Everton away, then they'd have the season of dreams right now. But on this day, to me, they lived out Steve Coogan's quote that if you give any Englishman the choice between his own success and your failure, he'll choose your failure every time. And Arsenal fans, they love nothing more than clipping the wings of Tottenham Hotspur's ambition, almost like Lucy swiping the football away from Tottenham Hotspur's Charlie Brown. Arsenal now have Manchester United, Liverpool and Chelsea headed to the Emirates in the next month and a half. That will be the true test of their renewed top four ambitions, hopes, dreams and fears. From a Spurs fan's perspective, it was all a bit too much like reliving the US nightmare in Trinidad and Tobago. You know, a mighty regional powerhouse travels to the home of a tiny, insignificant local minnow. They only need a result but they sleepwalk impotently and spot a shock two goal lead to the opposition. I am joking. I am joking. Arsenal, obviously, more Antigua on Buda in the CONCACAF comparison. But Pochettino Spurs normally save performances like these for the last few games of the season, David. How do you see this loss psychologically impacting them? This is a very, very good win at a very good time for Arsenal. And I think that, you know, they feel like way back into it and they're going to feel some supremacy. I mean, I think I always ask my question is, who would I rather be right now? Would I rather be Arsenal? Would I rather be Tottenham? And I think that some of what you're talking about, I think, you know, there are some big distractions for some of those Tottenham players. The World Cup coming, the interest from Real Madrid, the sort of buzz about Deli Alley and, and uh, Harry Kane all over the sort of the international football press. I think that's a little bit of a punch in the face. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they rebound uh, from it. And Arsenal are a very good Premier League side. I mean, I really look at them, if they can play like this, with that kind of energy, with that kind of enthusiasm, you look at them and you think, who's better than them other than Manchester City in the Premier League, really? Everton. Oh, <laughs> not Everton, Rog. God. Everton are better I, than them. If I was a Spurs fan, I would still have resounding in my ears the chants of Arsenal fans singing, you'll always be <laughs> you'll always be and that pain to be made again, to look like the younger, lesser brother, to have come so far to be candid if you're Tottenham Hotspur, only to be put right back in your place with the world watching. It's going to be fascinating to see how they react from this, whether it is a backbreaker, which I actually don't think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's just going to be another painful moment that teaches them important lessons under the watchful leadership of Pochettino. It was fascinating to listen to a dejected Hugo Lloris post-game talk about how Spurs' goal already is to lock down a top-four place, implicitly saying that's the goal rather than to seriously pursue City for the title challenge that we all crave. But let's face it, as I said on the television show, Spurs not really been the same since Clint Dempsey left, have they? Yeah. It's interesting, I mean, of course, we overreact massively to individual games and we believe that that's the new reality. This comes out of an international break. It's tough coming out of an international break, immediately having such a huge game. Probably your biggest game of the season is for a lot of Tottenham players. They know is their games against Arsenal. And we can overreact to it. A few weeks ago after Chelsea came off that massive win against Atletico Madrid, it's like, oh, this team is going to be so good. Then they lose you know, have some terrible results against Palace, that awful home game against Manchester City. And you start to think, oh, Chelsea are a little bit lost. And then Chelsea come back. It's like, you know, we, there's a lot of ebb and flow 
and it's why this is still a very long season. There's a lot of time. The games have to be played. We've got to see what's going to happen. Okay, Rog. Leicester, City, nil. Manchester City, two. Pep's side continue to send writers world over to their theosauruses in search of synonyms for really effing good. A Gabriel Jesus tap-in and an absolute belter from Kev, Rog, from his left foot, gets City off to the best start through 12 games in English Football League history. Their 10th consecutive win has them eight points clear atop the table. Game that was not really as close as the scoreline suggests. The quality gap was so evident, even on the day when City's finishing lacked its typical clockwork precision. And they extracted three more points from this game, which was one they lost 4-2 almost a year ago. Jamie Vardy hat-trick on that day, which is probably why Vaughan company kicked the hell out of him within two minutes. But that opening goal... God, it was a stunning move. One two-touch football. Even Raz was involved, David. But not just a tapping at the end from point-blank range. But the way David Silva wheeled away in joy after delivering the assist to Jesus tells you everything that you need to know about the delight City's players derive from their collective gameplay. And that's their great strength. I mean, David Silva, after the assist, he celebrated like Josh Lambeau after he'd kicked a field goal. And that stunning second goal. Oh, Leicester had just hit the post which made it even more poetic. But wow, KDB, easiest one, two, three. Can you imagine what that felt like? I mean, I've connected with a couple of footballs in my life, with my wrong foot, with my left foot, Rog. But they would have gone about a tenth of the velocity of that ball from Kev. I've hit some backhand winners down the line that have felt some good. Only like one out of 25, I make that shot, Rog. But they can feel pretty good. I can't imagine how that must feel for Kev to hit that in a Premier League game that purely. It was just so pured. It was beautiful. Like a five-iron rod off his foot. His left foot, his weaker foot, and it's still a warhammer. I mean, we always talk on this show about Chairman Mao dispatching Chinese ping-pong players to world championship ping-pong games and saying, strike the ball as hard as if it was the head of your communist enemy. I've never really understood that. Until I watched KDB unleash that left foot, Davo, I just thought, wow, that man, he's got so many beautiful body parts. He's got a stunning nose. He's got gorgeous ears. He's got ginger hair like a Flemish wheat field. If you ask KDB, what is his most beautiful feature? He's probably got beautiful privates, Rog. Gorgeous ones. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah, you know. That's amazing. Paint yourself in a nude if you're listening, KDB. <laughs> He's actually coming on the show in the next couple of weeks. I'll be able to ask him about that. What, yeah. What's your favourite body part of yours, David? I've never talked to you about this. I'm in my legs. I'm in my legs, Rog. They, they, even though I was teased at school, Rog, because the worst thing you can possibly happen in England is have a tan. You get, you get teased a lot if you're not pasty white the whole time. Um, but I have quite tan legs. They're always quite tan, and they're... Still, I've still got my muscularity on my legs. My, my legs are definitely my best feature. What do they call you? When, they, when the whole school got around you and just pointed the finger and chanted at you, what do they... What do no, they they're just like, oh, look at Davis. He's got such dark legs. It was like as though it was the worst possible thing. Yeah, look, you got dark legs. It was awful. Just sometimes... They weren't even making sort of a racial thing. It just was like, oh, you're dark. Ugh, you're like continental, you're like European. Do you sometimes wake up in a cold sweat and just like have in your head relive that moment when the whole school's around you chanting, Stinky Michael Davis? Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 my always, legs, I that's quite liked it. They're my legs. Oh, do you know what my favourite body it. part is, David? What? I think if I was pushed, I'd say probably my hair. 
<laughs> but there's not a lot of it. Oh, also, talking about KDB, Dave, I was chatting to J-Dubs about this. How many babies do you think will be born around the world and named Kev in the next few years? It's going to bring Kev back. But it's amazing if it brings Kev back or brings Kev for the first time to countries where they don't really have Kevs. <laughs> I mean, it's not a particularly Spanish or yeah. South American name or Southern European name, but I love the idea of there being lots of Kevs running around Barcelona oh, or Kev. Milan. Oh, it's going to have a resurgence. Kev, he's single-handedly bringing Kev back, like Nora, Olive, Henry, Kev Bennett. I'm going to have a fifth kid just so I can call it Kev, Kev Davo <laughs> for the next Davo. Not all good for City. John Stone's limped off in the first half. He's going to be out for over a month with a hamstring strain. Vonson Company, who honestly, as I said, could have been sent off within two minutes on this day. And Mangala, oh, and the master of self-destruction known as Otamendi, will have to hold up until John Stones returns. It's actually going to be an interesting vulnerability for better teams to target, like a thermal exhaust port on a Death Star. But I've got to say again, every week we say this, City are like watching a master artist at work, Davo. We should, I mean, watching Pep recalibrate, for instance, Fabian Delft's play to such exquisite levels. It's like being able to watch Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel before our very eyes. We should not take it for granted, right? Yeah, we love an English player with a foreign-sounding name, Rog. By the way, if, Cit good. if City continue to win at this rate, 2.83 points per game, they are on track for 108 whopping points. 100-point barrier, mm. never been broken in the Premier League. Your Chelsea 2005, the closest with 95. And they will whack 126 goals through the 38 games of this season. That's about three seasons worth for Everton Football Club. Across the red side of Manchester, Man United 4, Newcastle 1. United celebrate Paul Pogba and Zlatan Ibrahimovic's return to the team in emphatic style. After falling behind to a 13th-minute Dwight Gale strike, Rog, United storm back. Goals from Anthony Martial, Mike Smalling, Pogba and even Romelu Lukaku keep Jose Mourinho's men in second place and see him get one over on one of his very first Premier League foes. The feuds have followed, many of them, but Rafa was Jose's first. Last feud for Jose, obviously going to be with LeVar Ball. But feel-good <laughs> football back again. Throwback to the days of October when United had won 9 out of 10, spanked four goals for fun per game. But before this one, they'd eked out just four points from their last four games, scoring twice in the process. But Pogba, Davo, and United, they just seem like a different team with their vice president for social media back in the midfield. But what does he bring that they've lacked? He brings size and strength and mobility. And just the amount of space that he covers on that field. A mate of mine was uh, at the game this weekend, and I mentioned to him that on the commentary, I think it was Lee Dixon was saying, you know what, for what you can't see at home is the amount of space that Pogba finds himself. The way he moves, the way he gets free, he creates nightmares for defenders. And you know what, Man United have no one else in midfield who does that for them. And he's genuinely a box-to-box -box player. And it's why box-to-box -box midfielders, there are so few of them in the game anymore. But Pogba is just great. He showed up everywhere on the field. He showed up to receive it. He runs with the ball so well. Oh, that move he made on that little drag back, uh, posterizing the poor Newcastle defender, Rog. But just fantastic footballer. He's a creator. He's a threat. He's a decoy. He's just total confidence. Essentially, I said on the show, he's to United what the Ark of the Covenant was to the Israelites. I only wish I had an iota of his confidence. I'd be Rog back. 
But wah, 4-1, even Lukaku scored in garbage time and filled an iconic pose as if he'd just done something quite important, which he had got himself out of a seven-game goalless rut just as Zlatan returns to the squad. What do you think of that, Dave? Age 36, an inspiration to all of us middle-aged men that if you too are an athletic freak, you can have a prolonged footballing career at the highest level. Do you really see Zlatan having an impact in this United team that is all about pace, counter-attacking, strategy? I mean, this is a gentleman that's a phenomenal finisher, but surely he's going to slow the team down. Maybe, but like if he comes on and plays sub towards the end, I think he can still be very valuable. I mean, we're living in this strange era, Rog. Tom Brady at 40. You're seeing older athletes, Federer. You know, athletes just go on longer and longer and longer. Slatan can do it from anywhere. He's still a remarkable footballer. I can't believe he wouldn't help any team in the world, and I think he'll certainly help Man United. You know, I think his biggest contribution will be pressuring Lukaku, making sure that he feels the competition and making him believe that he may lose his spot if he doesn't bring it. I, I love the moment, though, by the way. My favourite Zlatan moment of the weekend, when post-game he was being interviewed and he decided to try and drop some branding and talking points into the post-game interview. Talked about how lions do not recover like humans. And the interviewer, mm. God love him, he just goes, we doing the lion again? Forcing a, a, a slightly, slightly embarrassed Latan to say, yeah, yeah, we do the lion again. <laughs> you, you, you don't call Zlatan on his marketing <laughs> Even though we all know lions who are injured often get separated from the pack and, and left to die from hunger. Incidentally, Newcastle's DeAndre Yedlin. Oh, the way he helped the tune open the scoring. The creator with a run down the flank. That assist, a reminder that the 2022 World Cup, just a mere 1,827 days away. Not so long now, David. Also him getting posterized at the back post uh, for one of the United girls at the other end, Rog, to be fair. Three of to them. be fair. Uh, okay, Rog, West Brom, nil, Chelsea, four, and Eden Hazard brace and goals from Alvaro Morata and Marcus Alonso lift Chelsea into third and, more importantly, officially move the tracksuit manager from endangered to extinct. Monday, after the game, West Brom parted company with a man whose touchline tenacity made him look like the neighbourhood dog continuously barking and frothing at the mouth, barred from the field only by an electric collar. Tony Poulos, Rog. But first, the big news of the weekend, Antonio Conte's shaver is broken. Oh, the Conte beard. Best beard since Vanessa Hudgens. What do you think of it, Dave, as a look? I think he looks pretty good. I mean, look, I oppose everything he's doing. I oppose the grey-denying... I oppose the bald denying, but I think the beard, the scruff, oh, who doesn't like a bit of Italian stubble, Rog? I can't tell you, Conte with a beard, like this man is already menacing. Adding a beard, it just seems so superfluous, so redundant, a bit like you're already one of the hardest men in the world, the most menacing men in the world. It's like seeing Mike Tyson and fill that face tattoo. You don't need it. You're already bloody terrifying. But whatever, it ushered in a phenomenal team performance. Best Chelsea performance I've seen all season. Dave, Christensen, Kante, all excel. But you've got to be thrilled about Murata and Hazard at the heart of everything together. Their link-up play, to me, not been a better duo this year since Dustin and Steve in Stranger Things team. Yeah, I might take the win at Atletico Madrid, slightly above the win at the Hawthorns against the struggling West Bromwich Albion, Rod. That first goal, you know, Hazard, just, just incisive, that shot, uh, so much confidence. 
a difficult rebound for Morata. He makes it. Torres would have missed it. And the second goal, Rod, that was a thing of beauty. That back heel to set up Hazard from Morata. Uh, my son George watched that like 25 times. It was just great. He just did it really for good George. football. He did it for George. 3 0 inside 38 minutes. Nary a hint of West Brom defending, which was the death knell for defensive master. Anthony Poulis, who was fired after just two victories in 21 matches. I mean, a drab safety first man in an era when Marco Silva, they must all hate Marco Silva, those kind of like those mid-level coaches. And Sean Dyche, who've proven that even minor teams can aspire to more. They've ruined it for all of us. I imagine Sam Allardyce speaking to Poulis. And David yeah, Moyes, like, Marco Silva. Yeah, showing Ugh. us all up, Mr. Swanky Pants. I mean, that crap that Tony was serving out week after week, it just tactically looked like a throwback to a footballing era when like, we're all using AOL dial-ups as the number one internet service. Y- you saw the face of Guo Chan Lei, the Chinese owner, as fans screamed for Pulis to be fired. And you just saw him eyeing the empty seats around the Hawthorns and you knew Tony Pulis was a dead man. Because you've got to remember, we've talked about it on this show, the Chinese owners, they don't just own West Brom. They're trying to use West Brom as a vehicle to market West Brom villages all over China. They've got to sell their houses. They need West Brom to connote luxury. And the honest truth, under Poulis, West Bromwich Albion really just conjured Chernobyl or Mosul or worse, Dave. What do you think they've done with all those tracksuits, all those TP tracksuits? I have no idea, but I would go and live in Poulis Town or Poulisville or Poulisburg, or whatever they'd call it. You I would. don't live in a world of TP. Yeah, it'd be awful, mate. Oh, it'd be good for the crack. It'd be good for the banter. It'd be just, uh, it'd be no PC in this in this area. No PC in TP. I, I, I've got to say, I believe West Brom, this is a prediction, will hire either Tony Parker or Thomas Pinchon as their next <laughs> coach, David. They want to save money. They don't want to throw them all away. They don't want to have to send those TP Adidas tracksuits, which I would love. I'd love a TP sweatsuit. They don't have to send them to that remote African village alongside those Dodgers World Series champions uh, T-shirts and Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl 51 uh, sweats, David. They want to hold on to them. Interesting Chelsea note. Did you see this story? Chelsea fans at New York's Legends Bar were shocked when they were watching the game and in walks Roman Abramovich in New York City. What would you have done? I'd have invited him over to my gaff to go and watch it uh, on cable. But I love the fact that Roman walked in to see it at Legends. He doesn't miss a game. He watches every game. He is passionate, passionate, passionate about this team. He's, he's a man of the people. He's a man of the people. A drink vodka of anyone. If you could drink with anyone in the world, anyone, while watching Chelsea, who would it be? Well, it wouldn't be with Roman Abramovich because he had this terrible fear that anything that happened would be your fault because you're uh, cursing it. And he pushed the um, shark tank trapdoor. Exactly. <laughs> but there are, and remember, Roger, Roman Abramovich, he doesn't come from, he wasn't born a Russian billionaire. He, he just applied for a job of oligarch and he got it. Exactly, he got it, he got it. He comes from the streets, he's, he comes from the people. There were no bars as nice as legends when he was growing up in the part of Moscow he's from. I don't know, who would I watch football with more than anybody else? I mean, it's tough for me. I'm enjoying watching it so much with George. I love watching football with you. So I can't really think of anybody more but legends. What legend would I like to watch football with? I mean, it would have to be the original Chelsea guys, Lampard, Drogba, and then go all the way back to Osgood, Charlie Cook. That would be amazing. Pints with Chopper Harris. Be unbelievable. I'd love to watch Everton with my dad. 
which is a reminder of what football is really about to me. And I'm only saying this because he's probably going to listen to the podcast because he's just arrived at JFK as we're podding. He's come with my poor mum here for Thanksgiving this Sunday. We're going to watch Everton lose disappointingly to Southampton with my dad and my kids. Three generations of Evertonians. Nothing could be better. I'll send my love to Val. Roger. I love me some Val. Memori- I like Ivor too. I like Ivor a lot too. But it's terrifying. Love to Val. Memories the of defeat. Original Mrs. B. I Me- love the original Mrs. B. Memories of defeat are the greatest memories, David. Okay, Rog. Liverpool 3, Southampton 0. A brace from the Premier League's leading scorer, Mo Salah. And a Philippe Coutinho goal give Jurgen Klopp's side their first three consecutive league wins of 2017. Their fifth, Rog, just one point off Tottenham for the top four. Liverpool versus Liverpool futures. And this game, it was really as easy as a Premier League victory could be. The significance in the three points really being that Liverpool, who were meant to struggle against sides that sit deep, here showed they didn't. And they stomped all over a very thin Southampton, kept the clean sheet. The memories of their Benny Hill defensive back line kind of relegated to dim mist of recent history. This game now, all about Mo Salah. Yeah, it's amazing. Think of how many goals Mo Salah could have scored this season had he (laughs) managed to convert about 70% of his chances as opposed to about 40% of his chances. He's an amazing footballer, Rog. He is Egyptian Jason Manzoukis, 14 goals. In 18 appearances, all comps, matching the total already of last season's top scorer for Liverpool, Coutinho. And we know how much Barcelona uh, value him. I'll say Salah, we laughed at how many chances he's had early in the season. But I've noticed the confidence and the composure that's grown into his game. And you can also see all those around him starting to cede to him as the first amongst equals in that Liverpool attacking four. They all look to meet his movement and his cunning with their passes. The Egyptian fans, they call their national squad the pass to Salah team. And now Salah's got 31% of all Liverpool shots on target in the Premier League. I'd say the Reds are getting there too. He cemented himself surely as a starter in the Chelsea Rejects 11 that would comfortably come second in the Premier League this season. And he's going to face up to his former lovers, Chelsea, this weekend in what's going to prove a truer test for Liverpool. That game is going to be a nipple tingler. He is a prototypical small to medium-sized bottom small. Actually, small to medium-sized bottom speedy small, actually, Rog. Yeah. Science! Two, West Ham nil. New Irons manager David Moyes looked right at home in his first match in charge, watching his team get the beat down while staring ruefully at nothing in particular. Classic Moyes. Goals from natural blonde Will Hughes and future Everton man Richarlison, if Roch has his way, have the Orns up to eighth. West Ham, meanwhile, stay mired in the drop zone. Saturdays are for the boys, so they say. Then Sundays are for the Moyes. That man, somehow he's back. I'm actually convinced he's part human, part regenerative parasite. He's definitely... Living proof that the new manager bounce doesn't only work in a forward direction. Now, they, they never made a sequel to the Titanic. I believe David Moyes at West Ham may be it. I mean, he is the Betsy DeVos of Premier League management, David Moyes. He's the Joel Osteen in reverse in terms of motivational skills. I, I just loved how he just undermined his team from the off in his opening press conference. He said, this must really inspire the locker room, David, to hear the new manager say, if it works, great. If it doesn't, I'll see the East End of London for seven months and then I'll go elsewhere. (laughs) Here's my question for you. 
What would make David Moyes want to get back into football? I mean, he's failed miserably at his last three jobs. The abuse, the derision, he's become a meme of failure. And the payoff he would have gotten for Manchester United alone, a small fortune, I would have just invested it in biotech and retired. What would make him want to come back and be like, yeah, West Ham, that's my next project? He doesn't look very happy managing football. It just doesn't look like a profession, a field that brings him any joy whatsoever. <laughs> In that... fact, I can't ever remember David Moyes smiling or looking happy at any point in history. Oh, and that club, West Ham, slow, confused, a tactical sludge of a squad, a political nightmare with an owner and a board that despise their own fans. I'm starting to believe David Moyes is just, he's not interested in football. He just loves depression. That is the most depressed culture in the Premier League, arguably. And he just throws himself at it like a dour Scottish moth to a flame. Oh, when Will Hughes scored, the most translucent man in football currently, and just put his team to the sword, the cameras just zoomed in on David Moyes' familiar jaw-jut of defeat. I mean, just living proof of that Philip Larkin line that I love, that life is slow dying. I th I'm not a good lip reader, but I think I saw what he, what he mouthed at his assistance from the bench. I think he, he mouthed, get me Nathan Peterman in the January transfer window and it'll all be all right. It is nice, though. At least he's bringing you some happiness, Rog. There's nothing that brings you more happiness than when people who used to be associated with Everton have bad things happen to them. <sighs> I think that's a life truth. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Burnley, two, Swansea, nil. The Clarets continue their fast start to the season, dispatching Swansea thanks to first-half goals from England's, wow, Jack Cork and Ashley Barnes. Important to say, Burnley are playing intelligent, complex football. It is not old Burnley that's got them to seventh in the table, same number of points as Arsenal and Liverpool. That midfield three, Good Munson, Stephen Defoe, Swansea reject Jack Cork. They are playing as if they believe they can take on all comers. And poor Swansea. Oh, Renato Sanchez, that fallen starlet. Watching him pick a fight with Matt Lowton, that 28-year-old journeyman, only to have Lowton laugh in his face. That is the symbol of Swansea's doom campaign so far. Five defeats on the spin in all competitions, panic stations, I'd say, are back at Bob Bradley levels in Wales. Bournemouth, four. Huddersfield, nil. The 10-man cherries pump four past the Terriers, two on either side of Simon Francis's dismissal, including three from just back from injury, Callum Wilson. After a slow start, Bournemouth are up to 13th, Rog. Brighton and Hove Albion, two. Stoke City, two. The Seagulls come from behind twice as one of the Premier League's most English matchups features a very United Nations score sheet. Stoke's five named Cameroonian Jean-Eric Maxim Chupomoting struck first before German Pascal Gross equalised. He's only got two names. Then Frenchman Kurt Zuma put the potters ahead again, only to have Colombian Jose Izquierdo make it 2-2 to split the spoils. And finally, Rog, Crystal Palace 2, Everton 2. A four-goal first half sees the Rebecca Lowe, Rog Derby end in a draw. A good point on the road, Rog? In a relegation six-pointer, which I approach yeah. with dread. I'll take it. But this game, to be honest, it was like watching Ned Flanders trade punches with, well, with me. That's how bad it was to watch, Davo. Everton still don't have a manager. My seven-year-old Oz, he asked me before the game, who's going to be our next manager? 
It's honestly truly confusing as to why Everton have not been able to make any known progress in this moment of need. We're linked to Sean Dyche, to Diego Simeone, to Marco Silva, and sadistically today, which I think you seeding it in the press, David, Louis van Gaal, with, uh, with little in the way. I just saw that. I just saw that and I thought, Dave is brief in the press. That. That's amazing. Dave is brief. You're pretending you've not seen it. You, you pitched it to the media no, just to twist the knife. It. Um, uh, um, when Everton. Everton. Oh, oh my God, please Everton. God, no, honestly, kill me now. But when my son asked me, I tried to deflect and buy some time rather than to explain my disappointment. I tried to use a dad joke and I said, maybe you, was. maybe you'll be the next Everton manager. And he just looked at me like I was a total moron. And he said, but dad, I'm only seven. <laughs> and the honest truth is, I would prefer that my son, Oz, seven years of age, was my club's manager right now. Because David Unsworth has got the passion. He's got the passion. He's got the confidence to drop Lil Wayne, Lil Wayne Rooney, which is good. But everything else is just a total Jackson Pollock of tactics. Uh, 15 out of 17 games this season, I think we've leaped the first goal. We did so against Toothless, just unable to score Crystal Palace. They scored within 50 seconds. 50 bloody seconds. And when that ball span into the back of Everton's net, I just screamed. I was like, come back, international break. I have just missed your lack of action more than I ever knew. I love you, international break. We got back into it. But, oh, you didn't really appreciate the magic that is Omar on the ass, did you, David? No. No, not that much, Rod. You, you, you thought it was a shameless dive for the penalty? Uh, it was a shameless dive for a penalty, Rod. But it, you know what? It got given. So congratulations for his professionalism. And congratulations also for making history, Omar on the ass, becoming the first player in Premier League history to be charged after a game for, quote, successful deception of a match official and receiving a two-game ban. I'm so proud. We're a first, Davo. But now we've lost this year's Ballon d'Or winner, Omar on the ass, a player who's really been my only joy this season. He's been the uh -huh. kind of joy like when you've got a bad case of the munchies and you fish behind the couch to find enough loose coins to buy a packet of Jack Ranch dipped hot wing Doritos. And I agree, Palace fans, all of you who've tweeted at me, this was an unfair result. Everton were that dreadful. Palace have so much that I admire in comparison to my team right now. The only thing we're actually better at was fouling. I think we had a season high, 26 fouls in the game. And I'm, Everton, I know you're listening. Everything now, everything hangs on the appointment of a manager. If you find the right gent, he can coax football out of this squad. He can get a tactical coherence out of these players. You choose the wrong gent, LVG. The gods are torturing me and we could be in the relegation zone for reals. Yeah, and I think it's not just about getting the best out of these players. I think they've got a January transfer window. And I think Mr. Masiri is going to be spending a lot of money trying to get himself out of this. I, mean, I was honestly watching the game, Rod, and I was thinking, you know, Palace have had a dreadful start to the season. Five points, bottom of the table, have been since day one. But I was honestly thinking, who would Rod rather be? Which team would he rather have right now? Would he rather be Palace? Would he rather be Everton? And i got to tell you, other than the fact that Wilfred Zaha, he's going to be gone. He's going to a bigger team. What a fantastic player. There's a lot going on at Palace that I would think, Phew, I might, I might take Palace over Everton. I'd rather be Spurs. I'd rather be Spurs, David. <laughs> That's not part of the scenario. Anyway, Rog. Oh, a very good time, Rog. To forget about the actual table, time to check the Men in Blazers mood table. Men in Blazers mood. 
Thanks, GFOP Photoshop master and now musical contributor Steve Tansek, one of many of you who wrote mood table stings after last week's show. GFOPs are the best kind of FOPs, Rog. Now <laughs> to this week's table. It's created by GFOP Matt Gordon that analyzes Twitter sentiment for every club's fan base during every round of Premier League games and ranks each team based on the optimism and or pessimism of its supporters. Now to this week's table itself, where the top three is filled with plucky overachievers whose fans are happy to be amongst the big boys. The top three, Rog, Huddersfield, they hold the top spot despite a loss to Bournemouth. The Cherries win, move them up into second. And in third place, the pluckiest little team of them all, Manchester City. I love that Huddersfield, uh, despite their loss, still top David. Their fans, they're not, they're not like, sack the board, David Wagner out. They're not like, Moy, what are you doing? They're just so happy to be part of this journey, David. Same with, with Bournemouth to a large degree. But at the bottom, Dotards, Southampton, West Ham United, marooned in 18th. It's only going to get worse. Believe me, it's only going to get worse. And in between them, Dark clouds suddenly descending this week, licking their wounds, feeling the sting of a bare-bottom spanking handed out by local rivals, Arsenal Football Club. It's Tottenham Hotspur. It's Tottenham oh. Hotspur, second to last this week in the mood wow. table, and I feel for you. I feel for you. What's most interesting, despite their weekend of glory, Arsenal fans, realistic enough to know what it means, this victory, in context, they have their team, only mid-table, in ninth, Dave out experiences a teacher, right, Gooners? Okay, Rog, we're working on a visual illustration of the mood table. Look for it on our social in the wake of today's pod. Now, one Arsenal fan who helped Arsenal's cause in the mood table, Nick Z King. In addition to his club's victory over Tottenham, Nick won our Play Togger League. Congrats, Nick. A patch is on its way to you. And in MLS... The day is upon us, Rog. The first leg of the semi-finals oh, kick-off tonight. Shortly after this pod is released, Columbus versus Toronto begins at 8 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. That's followed by Houston versus Seattle at 9.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Hashtag now, save Columbus. And in other U.S. news, FC Kansas City's women's team has folded. Its players have been reassigned to a new setup based in Salt Lake. Oh, they could be the... The Salt Lake Beckermans, the Becker Women's. <laughs> Becky Sauerbrunn and Co. are expected to now relocate. Our hearts are with all Kansas City fans for their Columbus size pain. Okay, Rog, in international football news, the detritus of this past international break leaves us with plenty of World Cup and alternative facts, World Cup related news to sift through today. Rog, Italy out, Australia in. Fortunately, a lot of Italians live in Australia, especially in the Melbourne area. And the U.S. men's national team played a friendly, not even we could read too much into, against Portugal, Rog. European champions, Portugal, drawing 1-1. Yeah, the U.S. played a game. I think the, the U.S. soccer sent out a tweet before the kickoff just saying, a new era begins. And you've just got to see the mentions underneath that. It's truly astonishing, the sentiment right now. You don't need a Twitter sentiment mood table to know how U.S fans are feeling. I mean, this was a fairly irrelevant game against half a Portugal team. It, watching it, it was like, it was bittersweet. It was like having to watch your wedding video on the day that your heart stings from the pain of recent divorce. It, it was a young US team. They wrestle with an odd mix of Portuguese players. The highlight, 19-year-old Schalke starlet, Weston McKinney, 
wasted little time to announce himself, even though we have to wait years before we play a meaningful game. Again, I'm not really a big believer in Gold Cups. In that regard, perhaps the most surreal aspect, Dave, over the past week has been the fact that our ridiculous gallows humour joke, a ridiculous joke, ridiculous, about an alternative facts NIT World Cup that we've been bullcrapping about, featuring the USA, Italy, Netherlands, Ghana, not you, Scotland. It's now shockingly on the cusp of becoming real, David. Ah, the NIT. Yeah, rumour has it, rumor has it that US soccer uh, and relevant sports between them trying to pull those teams over for a pre-World Cup tournament on US soil. It's a terrible idea, Dave, right? I mean, do you really think Americans are going to benefit from seeing who battles to the death to see who's the least worst team in football? I don't know that Americans are going to care, but I think it could be very valuable for the US men's national team to compete against some of the best teams in the world. Yeah, you know, hopefully Chile make it up. I think it could be a good little tournament. Yeah. I like the idea of an alternative facts World Cup. I'll watch it. it. The other squads are going to all be C teams, David. They're not going to get their their big boys. I mean, the football's going to be it's going to be he believes quality football. And I'll say this: if you do do it, please get Tracy Chapman to sing the national anthems before <laughs> the games because it's going to be oh, everything that follows is going to be even sadder. In other news, we have a World Cup 32 now that Peru saw off New Zealand. Congratulations to Australian GFOPs, gay marriage reform, almost as big, a Mille Jedinak hat-trick against Honduras. CONCACAF Thunder sends Australia to their fourth straight World Cup. Never take that for granted, Australia. I say that as a grieving American fan. We are, however, going to have to do, Dave, a new live show very soon. WTF Italy. It's going to be in Italian after Italy missed their first World Cup since 1958. Terribly tragic. What's the matter, you? Hey! It's going to be that one, Rog. I'm obviously the the image, the soundbite, the interview that played all around the world, the retirement of Gianluigi Buffon, Rog, just a legendary uh, Italian goalkeeper, apologising to his fans uh, and to his team's fans, his nation's fans after that loss. Uh, Heartbreaking. What? Um, Heartbreaking to see him not play in a World Cup. 39-year-old legend. I mean, we are deprived of seeing him in one last big tournament. And I'll say the 2018 World Cup is instantly going to lack 50% of its passion because it won't have him singing his national anthems before Italy games. I mean, Italians now trying to understand the root cause, ton of corruption in the Italian game, a terrible coach for the national team, Gian Piero Ventura, aged and tactically incompetent. He's gone. The president of the Italian Federation, now gone in loss and they just weren't a very good squad a poor squad they dominated Sweden but couldn't put the ball in the back of the net and this you've got to say big day for American soccer because the US can finally claim to have matched the achievements of Italy and the Netherlands it's not every day we can say that is it David and Chile Rog the winner of the coveted Guinness men in blazers poet philosopher subscribe regular of the week is Eric Silva B gents today I had that certain procedure that many men tend to dread when it was go time, the nurse said, oh, you could put on whatever music or something that will calm or distract you from your phone. The doctor won't mind. Most of my music is not exactly calming. And then I noticed the latest live MIB pod was up. <laughs> That's distracting. Neither the nurse nor doctor knew about football, but they found the show hysterical and were really enjoying themselves too. It even made conversation about the US men's national team's crash and burn. Lots of laughs, which put me at ease until I thought, Great. 
what if this dude laughs while he's trying to make a precise cut in my down belows? Oh, that procedure? Oh, Eric, we should have talked. Needless to say, all went well. And you now have some new fans in the Park Nicolette Department of Urology. Courage, obrigado, rock on me, oh. Eric Silver B. Oh, Eric, Eric, Eric. I thought it was clear that our podcast comes with a health warning, mate. And science has proven that just listening to us, it does. It renders three out of five males impotent anyway. Your Turkey Day weekend break looks like this. It starts Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern time with David Moyes' first home game in charge at West Ham against Leicester. Oh, this, we're going to see the whole of London Stadium get demolished after that game, Rog. And then Saturday at 12.30 p.m., it's the big one, Liverpool versus Chelsea. I'll be hiding behind the sofa in a clash between Rafa Benitez, former lovers on Big Boy NBC. And Sunday at 11 a.m., City try to extend their winning streak to 11 at Huddersfield. That game is on NBCSN. Oh, it's not my first rodeo, David. <laughs> there are many other ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which is now Men in Blazers Bald Mart. What are you putting in the Bald Mart this week, Rog? A book. Faith of Our Families, Everton and Oral History, 1878 to 2018 by James Corbett, the founder of a remarkable publishing house, the Coubertin. I hope I've said that right, which specializes in amazing football books. This one is a wonder, a 500 page treasure trove based on over 170 interviews with former Everton players, managers, staff, and even me, old Rog. And despite that, it's a phenomenal piece of work celebrating the 140th year of the club. It's exquisitely done. No sooner had my copy arrived than I became lost in it for hours. Long-time Everton fans will adore it. Newer Everton fans must buy this tome. It will deepen your understanding of the unique DNA of the club. Please put it on your holiday gift list as a must-buy. It's a magical, brilliant, beautiful object that every Everton fan must own. Rog, I finally succumbed. I've gone done it. I bought myself a Nespresso machine. I've, I've had emails about it. People have been asking me about it for years because, you know, I quite like my organic instant coffee. I've put that uh, in the store before. Yeah, the exact model I purchased, Rog, the Nespresso Breville Creatista Plus. It's like the Fabregas, Rog, of coffee machines. The rat. It's got a little... Yeah, it's amazing. It's a fantastic coffee machine. It frosts the milk. I like the Cafe de Cubana. I have the Cubana every single day. I like that. It comes in the red, white, and blue uh, containers. I really love my Nespresso machine. It's changing my life. I've polished off five just while we've been podding today, Rod. Don't you feel like you're in a hotel when you use it, though? Because they're always in hotel rooms, and whenever I see one, I just assume I'm not in my own home. I don't know what kind of hotels you're staying in, Rog, but they certainly don't have the Creatista. Uh this retails for around $349.99, but try and get a coupon, try and get it on sale somewhere. Oh, it's also so beautiful, Rog. I'll send you a photo. It I looks so good. I stay in the Hotel Jordan Henderson. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter, which we produce with our partner, Guinness. Follow us on Twitter, at meninblazers, at embassydavies, at Rog Bennett on Instagram, at meninblazers, at embassy underscore davies is my one. Uh, Facebook, we've got one of those, Men in Blazers. You can always... Uh, send your emails to meninblazers at gmail.com. Send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig! Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweed. 
Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America and happy Thanksgiving. I love you, Davo. I love you, Rog. Woke to football. <laughs>